0: Not Brother Victor, so praise God. Uh, but we'll have him, uh, be he'll be preaching next uh, month. I'm not sure which Sunday it is, but he will be preaching next month, and uh, we're excited about that. Hallelujah. Yes. Uh, so we're going to be talking about today the resurrection and the day of Pentecost. The last lesson we talked specifically about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And uh, although I was not in the class, I know Sister Mian taught it, and I believe it went very well. So today we're going to be talking about the resurrection, and if we have time, we'll talk a little bit about the day of Pentecost as well. Before we do so, how about we just say a quick word of prayer and just ask God to speak to us and to minister to our hearts. I too want to say thank you to our guests being here tonight with us praise the Lord. But hallelujah, let's say a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to come and just go through your word and to study it, Lord, to gather together, Lord, you said, Lord, that iron sharpens iron. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. So I pray tonight, Lord, as we come into this class and as we discuss these topics, that you would allow us to be sharpened in our biblical understanding, that you would allow, as the scripture says, that the hearing of the Word of God to increase our faith tonight. We love you Jesus and we're excited about what you're doing and what you're going to do. Bless us tonight in Jesus name. everyone say Amen. Amen, God bless you, you can be seated. So of course Jesus dies on the cross. He uh, is he dies rather early, if you will. Um, The others, they take a little bit of time to die, but Jesus, almost as if he was dying on purpose, he died quickly, praise God. Uh, The the reason we know that are because the soldiers came up, as they often did during crucifixions when the Sabbath day was the next day, because on the Sabbath day, they couldn't do anything. So if they were to survive in the Sabbath day, they couldn't touch the body. So they would just remain on the crosses and they would just rot. So in order to try to catch up and to beat the the Sabbath day where they were not allowed to take the bodies down, they would go and they would actually break the legs of the men who were on the cross. That would remove their ability to push themselves up and to get breath. Um, In that position where you're primarily uh, hunched over on this cross, the only way you'd be able to breathe is by pushing your legs up and pushing your bodies up to to be able to take a breath of air. And, uh, I mean, again, uh, not to be too gruesome here tonight, but you can imagine how horrible of a pain that must be Uh, As we know, the Bible says that his feet were nailed to the cross. And that would be the only thing he had to push himself off of were the nails. And that's how they would get their breath. Um, But And they could survive for several hours doing that despite the pain. So the soldiers would come and break the legs. But the Bible says when they came to Jesus, Jesus had already passed away. He did not need to break his legs, which would fulfill prophecy that says no bone of Jesus's would be broken, which I think is pretty fascinating, hallelujah, that even his, the timing of his death fulfilled prophecy and allowed that Old Testament prophecy be fulfilled. So at that point, again, they're having to deal with the bodies of Jesus and the two thieves. Jesus did not secure for himself a tomb. Um, I don't believe he needed to, praise God. Hallelujah. If you know you're only going to use something for a little while, you don't buy, right? Hallelujah. Praise God. If you know you're going to move on and do something else, you just, you just rent something out. We wouldn't buy it, right? So Jesus had no reason to purchase a tomb and to make preparations for his death. He only needed a place to go for a short period of time. But we see in John chapter 19 that somebody did step up and give him a place, his body, a place for burial. John chapter 19 and verse 38. John 19 and verse 38 And I would love, actually, before I start reading this, I would love to get some help reading. Praise God. Uh, if you'd like to help us read, why don't you lift up your hand. Sister Mian, Brother Victor, all right, Brother Kavan, Brother Louise, all right. We'll excuse you guys. Don't worry about it. Hallelujah. We'll, we won't make you read. If you don't have a Bible, though, uh, let's make sure they get a visitor bag, then, and th- we'll provide you a Bible, too, and it'll be yours to to keep. Um, okay, Brother Victor, how about you start us out? Uh, it's going to be a little bit of reading here. John 19, verse 38 through 42. Okay, so they're laid there, Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, again, uh, implying they were trying to quickly find a place for Jesus Christ. And this man, Joseph, being a disciple of Jesus, a secret disciple of Jesus, which is quite interesting, uh, because of fear of the Jews, uh, it is believed that Joseph was a rich man. That's why he had this tomb all ready to go. It was uh, it wasn't often that somebody would already have a tomb prepared for their death. Uh, at that point, as as it is these days, you know, you don't really start worrying about that until you get a little bit older. And we don't know what his age was, but it's likely that he was well off. And specifically, we know that he was well off because of prophecy that was given. Brother Louise, how about you head to Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9. But we'll see here uh, a prophecy specifically about the place where Jesus would be buried and he would lay his head. So this is just so fascinating to me and interesting to me that Jesus, that this prophecy would be given in Scripture. So we're going to Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9. And when you have it, you can go ahead, Brother Louise. So he was assigned a grave with the wicked, meaning he, that man who was the holiest uh, man to ever live. He was God manifested in the flesh. He was buried just like a common person, you know, in the graves next to the wicked men. Hallelujah. But it also says there with the rich in his death. Hallelujah. So again, implying Joseph being a rich man. Uh, But it says, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. This was the reason that he went on the cross. This was the reason he was buried, because he was that spotless lamb. Amen. He was a spotless lamb, meaning he had never sinned the entire time he was on the earth. Hallelujah. That's the reason why his death made any bit of difference at all. That's the reason why the grave would only hold him for a few days. It's because he was sinless. He was the one who was without sin. That was essential because for you and I, we can't say that, right? (laughs) I'm, I'm the pastor of the church. I can't say that. I've been uh, Pastor, now almost ten years. Next, next year, praise God. And I cannot say I'm perfect and without sin. Praise God, because the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has. Not a single one among us are perfect. Praise God. And and He says, if you say you're perfect, then you're a sinner because you just lied. Praise God. <laughs> So let's not lie to ourselves and pretend like we're perfect. So, so we're sinners. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, praise God, it tells us that the wages of sin is death. The only reason death came on the earth was why? What did Adam and Eve do? They sinned. They took of that fruit. And when they sinned and broke the commandments of God, all of a sudden death was on the earth. Adam and Eve more than likely would have lived forever because sin introduced death. That's the wages of sin. You know, again, we, we're we uh, used to that uh, understanding. If we, you know, drive down the road and we go a little over the speed limit, right? And <laughs> I know nobody here would ever, ever do that, praise God, but... You 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 know you exceed the speed limit a little bit. You get pulled over. You are going fifteen miles per hour over the speed limit. You're going to get a ticket, right? Right. That's the wage. That's the punishment. And hopefully you're only going fifteen over. You're going fifty over. You're going to you know spend the night in jail possibly. But uh, you know. But that's the wage of breaking the civil law. Well, what is the wages of breaking the biblical and scriptural law? It's death, Uh, meaning not just death physically, but death spiritually, meaning eternal punishment. Hallelujah. And I know this is getting real dark here, but trust me, it's about to get a lot better because that's the whole reason why Jesus came to the earth, right? Praise God, because the Bible says that God looked down on the earth and he searched for a man who could redeem his people, who could save his people. He said, there is none. Why? Because I can't die for your sins. (laughs) I can't die for your sins, you know, because I'm too busy dying for my own sins, right? So I can't die for your sins because i got to die for my own sins. But what if somebody came who had never sinned, praise God, and yet he died. That breaks the rules. That shatters everything. That's a back door, right? Hallelujah. It's a back door to the system. Jesus says, I cannot save them directly. What I'm going to have to do is take a back door. I'm going to have to break the rules. Hallelujah. Because sin equals death. But if I never sin and I die, therefore I will die on the behalf of every person who calls on me and calls on the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And believes on the name of Jesus. Uh, Praise God. That's the power of 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 his death he he sw- lived without sin and when he died he shouldn't have never died the only person in the whole world who didn't deserve to die died and he did it for you and he did it for me praise god hallelujah the only person who should have never gone in a grave He went in a grave for you and for me. But hallelujah, praise God. Don't worry, because as we'll see, he didn't stay in the grave too long. Praise God. Hallelujah. But this is a prophecy. This is a prophecy given, uh, I believe, around 600 to 900 years before Jesus even walked the earth. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9 was uh, given about six to 900 years before Jesus walked the earth, and yet we see the fulfillment of it. He was buried among the wicked. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. He who had no sin had to be buried and put in a grave. Let's go to Matthew chapter 27, and Brother Kavon, are you are you reading? Yeah? All right, why don't you go ahead and, and read for us. Matthew 27. I just want to make sure. I, could, I couldn't remember if you lifted your hand or not. Matthew 27, verse 62 through 66. And I'm sorry, I'm not following too, too closely to that handout. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. All right, I mean, this is just fascinating to me. So the soldiers come to Pilate. Uh, let's see, the chief priests and the Pharisees came to Pilate and said, Listen, they claim, Jesus claimed that on the third day he would rise again. And you know what I love about this, uh, or what's so interesting about this, is that it seemed like they had more faith in Jesus rising again than the disciples did. Right? I mean, the disciples didn't even; they wouldn't even have gone to the tomb had Mary and them not run back and told them that he had risen. And yet, the Pharisees and the uh, uh, the chief priests said, "Oh no, we can't, we can't let this happen. We we got to make sure that he doesn't rise from the grave. We got to make sure that the disciples don't come and steal the body, and then the second deception be worse than the first one." That's what they believed that he, Jesus was. Purely just deceiving every person. And in you know, the, the King James Version says verse sixty-five a little different. It says Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, which a guard, go your way and make sure, make it as sure as you can. When I read that I thought, well, that's exactly what they did. And what he means is make sure it's as secure as you can so that nobody can go in there. But what they actually did was they made sure that everybody knew Jesus rose from the grave. Nobody stole the body. It was the power of the Holy Ghost that rose Jesus. From he came walking out on his own free will, praise God. Hallelujah. They, he made sure, all right, they made sure. That everybody knew. I had a, a co-worker that uh, she would question me all the time. How do you know Jesus rose from there? This was one thing specifically. She read a book. She ended up giving me the book. It's still in my, my uh, bookshelf. I haven't read it yet. But she had a book that talked about how Jesus could never risen from the grave. And she had all these reasons. Well, how, you know, How do you know that Jesus was actually dead when they put him in there? It's like, well, you know, everybody seemed to think they were. It wasn't just the disciples that said he was dead. The guards said that they were dead. Well, how do you know the disciples didn't actually come in and steal the body? This is what I told her right here. I said, Pilate made sure. He made sure of it. Now, in their minds, they were making sure the disciples couldn't. In God's mind, he was making sure everybody knew the disciples couldn't. And if it happened... It was the hand of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. And we'll see all throughout this that the Bible makes sure there is plenty of proof of the resurrection. Because if you exclude the resurrection, then all you have is a dead body in a grave. Hallelujah. And if Jesus is dead, how can he save me from my sins? If Jesus would succumb to death, then how could we have everlasting life. Oh, but I'm telling you, there's proof in the Word of God that tells me Jesus did rise from the grave. I can be confident there is resurrection power enough that it can revive my spirit, pull me out of the darkness, and put me in that place where I have everlasting. Do you believe that here today? Amen? Praise God. He made sure of it. And then there were many eyewitnesses. And we're not going to go to all these places in, in your handout. The first eyewitnesses, their first three women went to the tomb. They found the body of Jesus gone. The two angels sat there on the tomb, told them it had risen. By the way, when the angel appeared, it was two soldiers and two women or three women standing there The two soldiers, these hardened men, prepared for battle. The Bible says those two men fell on their faces and passed out. That's what the Bible says, as if they were sleeping. Whereas these three women, they just stood there. Yes, they were afraid, but the angel said, be ye not afraid. He said, because I bring you good tidings of great joy. Hallelujah. He was there to tell them Jesus had risen from the grave. So those two soldiers, again, they were knocked out by an angel. And uh, that's why they were able to see there is no body in the grave. Uh, And then we we see where they go back and they uh, tell the others. Mary Magdalene was still there. She was the first to see Jesus, thinking he at first was the gardener. She saw Jesus. Jesus told her, do not touch me, because it is believed Jesus, being the high priest, following the order of the Old Testament, would be required after his resurrection to go up into heaven and to pour out the blood on the mercy seat, which is exactly what they would do in the Old Testament tabernacle. And we see that the Old Testament tabernacle was a shadow of what is in heaven. So Jesus said, I'm not yet glorified. I'm not yet finished my course. I've risen, but I still yet have to arise and to pour out that blood upon the mercy seat. And then I will have a glorified body. And then I will be here where you can touch me. Because we see not too long after that, Jesus appeared before the women and the two disciples. Then we see he appears before ten disciples. And all that can be quite confusing, the timeline and all that. But just know Jesus is just appearing, disappearing, appearing, disappearing. He's trying to reveal himself to as many people as he can. That's exactly what he's doing. He's trying to reveal himself to as many people as he can. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. And Brother Victor, if you could read for us. Luke chapter 24 and in starting at verse 36 through 40. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 36 through 40. Wow, so he appears, and the first thing I, I I I just, this is incredible to me. The first thing he says to them is peace. It's the first word, peace be unto you. Ah, hallelujah, I feel the Holy Ghost, praise the Lord. I believe that's the first thing he ministers into each and every one of our hearts. It's peace, peace be unto you. And I know at that point he's trying to warn them, don't be afraid. Don't be affrightened, uh, as he said. Hallelujah. So he's trying to calm them at the very beginning. But that's often how he has to deal with us too, right? Hallelujah. When God first starts working in our lives, it can be nerve-wracking, confusing, scary. Hallelujah. But just remember, Jesus says, peace be unto you. Praise God. But they were terrified and affrightened, Suppose they had seen a spirit. Now, this is important because there is a great movement out there that claim that Jesus was not a physical person. He was only a spirit that walked the earth. Specifically, when he rose from the grave, he was not a physical man. But as we see here, yes, he told Mary, do not touch me, the idea is he was not glorified yet. He had to arise up and, and pour out the blood. But here we see he's willingly, he's telling them, touch me, feel me. Make sure that I'm not just a figment of your imagination. Here's my hands. Here's my feet. It was after this he also convinced doubting Thomas, right? He says, put your finger in my, the holes in my hands, He said, I want you to see that my scars are still there. This is still the same body that had to die on the cross, yet it's glorified. Hallelujah. Praise God. So he was enlightening them, uh, helping them to understand, I'm not just a spirit. I'm, I'm flesh and bones. And you can feel me. You can handle me. He even eats food. Praise God. He even eats food. So, so here is what this shows me: a couple different things. The Bible says that when we are raptured out of here, we will be given glorified bodies, as a, like Jesus had a glorified body. Hallelujah. So, you know, I've always gone back and forth. I, I had a, uh, I've said this before, but I had a cousin when I was younger. She was trying to encourage me to make it to heaven. She said, Aaron, what's your favorite thing to eat in the world? I said, pickles. That was my favorite thing in the whole world to eat. You know, we used to get those big giant jars. I actually just bought one the other day just because I wanted my kids to have it, have some and get that taste. But we used to take that pickle, you know, you'd bite off one end and then you'd just suck it dry, you know, suck out all the juice out of it, (laughs) hallelujah. And, uh, you know, it's a silly thing we used to always do. But she said, what's your favorite food? I said, pickles. She said, you know, in heaven you can have as many pickles as you want. Well, as I got older, I thought, well, I don't know about that. That's kind of silly. But here we see Jesus' glorified body, and he's asking them in verse 41, Have ye here any meat? <laughs> Jesus still, I don't know if he desired or if he was hungry, but I do know he ate. That tells me we'll be eating in heaven. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's That makes this big boy proud. Hallelujah. Or happy. Praise the Lord. So we'll be eating in heaven. But, you know, so this is just, again, we're getting a glimpse uh, of Jesus as he rose from the grave. This is important for us because, again, how do we know this actually happened? How do we know that Jesus rose from the grave? This was the third thing that I told my coworker. I said, because there are plenty of eyewitnesses. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Brother Louise, if you could read for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5 through 8. 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 8. So, you know, again, her argument was, well, how do we know, you know, the disciples didn't just make all this up and, and didn't just say all these things and claim all these things? First of all, there are so many extra biblical evidence, so much extra biblical evidence of writers who are not Christians who wrote about the Christians, who wrote about Jesus, even wrote about the death and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So it's not like this is the only account we have. But what he's saying here, and we know these are letters that were passed on from church to church. The the first Corinthians, Paul wrote this letter, and he would send it to the church, and all the churches would, would read them. So right now what he's doing is he's sending these letters, and he's telling them, Over 500 men at one time saw Jesus after he had resurrected from the grave. That tells me there were well over 500 people that saw Jesus after he died on the cross. After the soldiers confirmed that he was dead on the cross. After it was confirmed he was in the grave. After the soldiers stood at the, at the tomb, hallelujah, after all of that, it was confirmed by over 500 people who saw him at one point, at one moment, that he was alive and that he had been resurrected. That is a big deal. Because, look, I mean, if I want to deceive the world and deceive a bunch of people, I mean, maybe I'm highly influential I might be able to convince a couple people to lie for me, right? I might be able to convince three or four people. If I really have some charisma, I might be able to convince people to lie for me. But 500 people plus, are you going to convince 500 plus people to lie and say you saw somebody, you saw him talking, you saw him walking, when they did not in fact see that thing? That's evidence right there. That's why Paul is saying this. He's saying, look, this is evidence. You can maybe convince two, three people to lie, but 500, I don't think so. And then the final piece of evidence is why would the disciples go on to be martyred for a lie? Why would they keep on the charade? knowing they're lying, again, maybe one or two, but 12 people, even more than that, who died from martyrdom in the church, not just the disciples, would they do that just to try to convince people of a lie? These were not cunning men. These were fishermen. They were not deceiver. They weren't, you know, well... Uh, well, have uh, lots of money and, and all that, and they were just trying to get gain. These were normal, everyday people, and they had an experience that was miraculous where they met a man named Jesus, and they followed that man. And He died on the cross for their sins. And He rose again three days later. And they saw Him after He had risen from the grave. They saw Him with their own eyes. And they said, "This is worth dying for. This is worth going, uh, uh, you know, being put in the colosseums and being eaten by lions for. This is worth being hung upside down on a cross, which it's believed that's how Peter died. This is worth dying for, all oh, for Jesus, Hallelujah! How about we worship the Lord for a moment? Oh Jesus, we thank you, Lord God. Yes, Lord Jesus, we believe in you, Lord God." Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. And finally, Jesus was about to arise into heaven. It would be the last moment that he would be seen on the earth in that way. And, And if we could go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 and verse 49, and we're going to read to 51. Uh, brother, come on if you could read for us. Luke chapter 24, verse 49 through 51. So he spoke to them, gave them final words. He tells them and gives them a mission that repentance and remission of sins, remission of sins, should be preached in his name among all nations. And ye are witnesses of these things. Then he says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but you need to wait in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high, and then he led them out to Bethany or Bethlehem. He lifted up his hands, and he blessed them, and then he began to arise and parted from them and carried up into heaven. We'll see another uh, occurrence of this in Acts chapter 1. Brother Victor, if you could read for us, Acts chapter 1 verse 4 through 8. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, go ahead. Acts 1, verse 4 through 8. Just one more, verse 12. Uh-oh, I think you're reading a, a different part. But you're good. You finish it. You finish verse 12. No, no, you're good. You're good. I asked you to read more because you're doing such a great job. Um, so this is this is incredible. Again, so we're reading another account. Remember, the Gospels are four different accounts of what happened. So, you, you know, if if let's say a month from now, I ask each and every one of you, I want you to write down what took place tonight in service. You know, you'd have some similarities among you, but I'm sure you'd probably have four different stories somewhat similar. But, you know, every person is going to hold on to a different part, right? Right. there's one part that was more impactful for you than maybe the person sitting next to you. Maybe it was a different part. So even though it would be part of the same story, it would be all these different perspectives. Here we're seeing a whole nother perspective and we're seeing more details as to the resurrection of Jesus Christ or the ascension rather of Jesus Christ. We see where he's giving more uh, details on what happened when that occurred. He's giving more details on what Jesus said beforehand. He tells them beforehand that they need to wait for the promise of the Father. That's the same thing we read in verse Luke or in Luke, but he says it a little bit more clearly. He says, "For truly, John baptized with water, meaning John the Baptist baptized them for the remission of sins." which is also very important. He says, but this is the fulfillment that Jesus would baptize you with the Holy Ghost. That's what John the Baptist said, right? And so he's saying this is one thing that's still yet to accomplish. One thing that still needs to be done is you still need the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Jesus has done everything else But now you need the Holy Ghost. Uh, And in verse 6, now, again, the disciples are still holding on to this idea that Jesus is here to stay. He's going to build a kingdom on the earth, a physical kingdom. He's going to name himself king. He says in verse 6, they say, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdoms to Israel? Again, holding on to a physical kingdom. We want you to be our physical king. We want you to have a dominion and a throne and and all of these things. Here on the earth, they didn't realize that the whole plan was not to build a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. Hallelujah. Jesus would absolutely be their king but he would not be here on the earth. He would be a spiritual king who lived in their hearts uh, through the power of the Holy Ghost. That's why he says it is not time for you to know the times or the seasons. It's not for you to know that. He says there will be a day where I will come back and I will settle my kingdom on the new heaven and the new earth. He says, but today that's not going to happen. But if you tarry in Jerusalem, you shall receive Power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He says, and after that, you're going to conquer, but it's not going to be conquering like you're going to take swords and shields and go and conquer lands. You're going to conquer lands, but it's going to be through the power of my words. Hallelujah. It's going to be through the Bible, the Scriptures. It's going to be through the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. You'll be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And we see that did, in fact, happen. Amen. Hallelujah. A few months ago on Pentecost Sunday, I talked about the far-reaching effects of the Holy Ghost. And now it is believed that nearly half of the world claims to at one point have filled with the, been filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Now, to me, that is incredible, to know that this started out in, a, in just a, a small little room in the upper room. They had to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise, and it spread to that point all throughout the world unto the uttermost parts of the earth, praise God. And then again, he was taken up into the cloud. This time, it shows what the disciples did. Again, they're hard-headed. I mean, praise God, they're like a lot of us a lot a lot they're like me, praise God, always thinking, oh yeah, I don't know let's still we're going to build a physical kingdom and then he rises up, he just told me to go to Jerusalem, and i 'm still just standing here looking up at the sky what's what's happening now what's next? Two angels appear to them, and said, look, Jesus told you what to do, <laughs> like he just got done telling you. Go to Jerusalem. There you will have the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and God will pour out His Spirit. And, and we can absolutely see that, um, that He was going to do that, that He would do that in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Ma'am, would you like to read? You don't have to, but okay. So Acts chapter 1. Uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Verse 1 through 4. Now we see it. We see the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1, where Jesus says you shall be endued with power. You will receive power. You will be endued with the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. We see it take place right here. All of a sudden, they're still waiting in the upper room. A hundred and twenty of them were there. Uh, And they were only waiting there, I believe it's 30 days, if I'm not mistaken. About a month, they waited in the upper room, just praying, just praying and praying and praying. Sometimes you have to just stick to it until God does it, right? Sometimes you just got to get committed, keep praying, keep seeking God until God pours out His Spirit. And then it was accomplished on the day of Pentecost, uh, hallelujah, that uh, they were all in one accord in one place. That talks about the power of unity, amen. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. This was a recognizable sound because in John chapter 3, Jesus said, all who were be born of the spirit, there would be the sound of the wind. That's what he said. There would be a sound. And he connected it to the wind. It says, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind. It filled all the house. Then their minds, I'm sure at that point, went back to that conversation he had with Nicodemus in John 3. Oh, that's the wind. You guys hear the wind? Didn't Jesus at one point talk about some wind would come when the Spirit would come? Oh, this must be it. And they appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Now it's connecting back to, to John the Baptist's words. Well, well, Jesus, he's going to come and pour out the Holy Ghost and fire, Right? He's gonna pour out the. He's gonna baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire again, connecting it all back to everything they've heard since the beginning about the Holy Ghost. There's gonna be the wind. There's gonna be the fire, and then they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. In other words, as the Spirit began to move upon them and lead them, they began to speak in a language that they did not know. Praise God. Oh, anybody thankful for the Holy Ghost here today? Praise God. Of course, those in that day had no idea what this was. Other than the disciples, they were awfully confused. The disciples weren't confused at all. They asked them, men and brother, what is going on here? Are are these men drunk as ye and, and Peter said they're not drunk as ye suppose he says they've got the holy ghost inside of them and god's doing a miraculous work but they're not drunk like you think it's the spirit of god that is working in them peter proceeded to preach to them jesus and how that they had crucified the messiah we can pick it up in Acts chapter 2 verse uh thir- 37 through 39 would you read that for us brother victor acts chapter 2 verse 37 through 39 acts chapter 2 verse 37 through 39 Praise God. They were pricked in their heart. They said, wait a minute. I think you're right, Peter. I think we've done something wrong here. You know what? I think maybe you're right. I think there's sin in my heart. I think there's sin in my life. I, I think you're right. I think we did kill Jesus. And, and I think he was the Messiah. I think you're right about who Jesus was. And, and I, I cursed him. And I, I shouted, crucify him. And, and I was one of the ones who were pushing him and, and trying to get the Pharisees to crucify him. And, and I was one of the ones who chose him over Barabbas. And, and I had a hand in crucifying Jesus Christ. I know you, Maybe we've never thought of this before, but if it was the sin, our sin that Jesus died for, then it was our sin that hung Jesus on the cross. We might as well have been one of them. in that crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. We might as well have been one of the ones who chose Jesus over Barabbas, who chose Jesus to die rather than Barabbas to die. We might well have been because it was our sin that put him on the cross. And they said, Peter, men and brethren, what shall we do? We recognize the guilt that is upon us, the sin that we have. And now we've we've decided we've got to do something about this guilt. We got to do something about this sin in our life. And Peter spoke plainly, more plainly than it is ever given in any other passage of scripture, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And if you'll do that, if you'll call upon the name of the Lord through repentance, if you'll call on the name of Jesus as being baptized in water, then ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Ghost. Praise God. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repentance. Repentance is one of those words. Repentance is it's an old word we used to use in the military when the soldiers would be walking. Somebody would shout repent and they'd turn and do a 180 and walk the opposite direction. Repentance isn't going to Jesus and saying, from this point on, I'm going to be perfect, because again, you'll lie, because we're never going to be perfect. Repentance is is not about committing to be perfect. It is about committing to turning our back on our sins and walking towards the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm no longer walking towards my sin but I'm doing a 180 and I'm putting my back towards sin and I'm walking toward the Lord. Amen. That's repentance. I'm calling on the name of the Lord. The Bible says that repentance includes confession, confessing that we're sinners. If we cannot confess our own sin, we cannot repent. Confessing that we are sinners, confessing what we have done, not to a man. You don't have to do it to me but to Jesus. Hallelujah. And he says, if we will confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How long has it been since you felt clean inside? How long has it been since you've had a clear conscience? He says, if you confess it to me and you repent, hallelujah, then I will forgive your sins and I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then to be baptized in the name of Jesus, to go down in water, as somebody, a man of God, baptizes you in water, and brings you up again. Why is that so important? Romans 6 tells us that we are buried with Christ. Just as Jesus died on the cross, we must die to our sins. And just as Jesus was buried in a grave, so should we bury the old man. And guess what? If Jesus rose from the grave, we can take part in that too. He says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, the Bible tells us it was the Holy Ghost that rose Jesus from the grave, wasn't it? And it's the same Holy Ghost that will cause us to walk in newness of life. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, You must be born again. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. You must be born again. Hallelujah. And he says, how, how is that possible? Can I enter the second time into my mother's womb? He says, No. You must be born of the water and of the Spirit. Baptism and the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Anybody excited and thankful for the Lord? Hallelujah. Unless lest it be said, that Holy Ghost is not for me. He says in verse 39, the promise of the Holy Ghost is unto you, meaning that generation, unto your children, meaning the generations after them. And all who are afar off, meaning the Jews, the Gentiles, hallelujah, if you're from poor St. Lucie, Stuart, Hope Sound, if you're from New York, if you're from Jamaica, China, hallelujah, wherever it may be, Russia, praise God, then the promise is for you. Everyone can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Everyone can receive the Spirit of God. How about we stand here today? Praise God. How will I know that I've received the Spirit of God? Well, Acts chapter 10 tells us very plainly. Acts chapter 10, verse 44 says, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, meaning the Jews, which believed they were astonished... As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the Holy Ghost. They said, wait a minute. Oh, oh the, the Gentiles? Remember, the Jews were they're they're kind of racist towards the Gentiles. They were. It was built into the Jews to be racist toward the Gentiles. So what in the world's happening here? You mean the Gentiles can get the Holy Ghost too? Yeah, even the Gentiles can get the Holy Ghost too. But how'd they know? How'd they know the Gentiles had received the Something had to have happened right then that allowed them to know they received the Holy Ghost. Verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Jesus said that all who are born of the Spirit, it would be accompanied with a sound. That's the sound of speaking in tongues. It's a supernatural event. As God takes over our mouth and tongue, we begin to speak in a language that we've never heard or spoken before. It's not us doing it. It's the Holy Ghost that is working within us. Hallelujah. He says they heard them speak in tongues. Then they knew they right there have received the Holy Ghost. They've been born again. How does a doctor know when a baby's born, that he's got life in him. What is he he hoping to hear? The cry. And that's the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, we're hoping to hear that Holy Ghost as it works in you. You begin to speak in tongues. That's that sign. That lets us know you've been born again in the Spirit. Hallelujah, is this all right? How about we say a word of prayer? Let's go to the Lord right now and thank him and talk to him for a minute. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you.